Hey everyone, Patrick here. Now before we start tonight's episode, I want you to do a little thought experiment with me. I want you to imagine a world where aliens was never made. A world where July 14th, 1986 came and went with no queen, no bishop, no newt. A world without 35 years of having had this thing in it. Think of every time you've thought to yourself, hey, that's an aliens reference. Think of every guest we've had on Perfect Organism who said, I saw aliens as a kid and I was just hooked. Think of every interview where someone mentions reading the Dark Horse Aliens series as a kid and pretending they were a colonial marine. Think of every filmmaker who says they got into movies because James Cameron put his foot to the floor and gave us a movie for the ages and their cool older cousin showed it to them as a child and they never looked back. Imagine a world where Ripley never faced the Queen in a power loader. A world where Hicks, Hudson, Vasquez, Apone, all these Marines that we've come to think of as friends whose lines we've memorized a thousand times over never existed. A world where Ripley's story ended with a quiet sign-off on board the Narcissus, floating through space like a leaf in a vast river, where she never came back to face the beast, where she never got to show us what a hero she really was. Now, if you're anything like me, you can't imagine a world like that at all. And also, you're probably like 100% ready to watch Aliens for the millionth time right now. We hope you enjoyed tonight's roundtable discussion, and we hope you'll join us here at Perfect Organism in raising a glass or, you know, a pulse rifle to 35 years of this magnificent film. Welcome aboard the USS Aeronome. To become a member of our crew, please visit perfectorganism.com support. As a patron of Perfect Organism, you'll receive exclusive perks and early access to content. Incoming audio transmission received. Please proceed to Subdeck 3 to begin playback. Thank you, and welcome aboard. Sweetheart, so what are you waiting for? Breakfast in bed? Another glorious day in the Corps. Day in the Marine Corps is like a day on the farm. Every meal is a banquet. Every paycheck a fortune. Every formation a parade. I love the Corps. Where's Baskin? Let's rock! Welcome to Perfect Organism, the Alien Saga Podcast. I am your host, Jamie Prater, and I'm joined by my co-host, Patrick Green. And Harry Chicos. And Maj. And Christian Matska. Matska. Okay, Matska. All right. I won't forget that. And closer again, every time, Jamie. Yeah. Closer yeah. every time. We're gonna get there. <laughs> Let me see if you could say it right that the next time, Patrick. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and Philip Kennedy Johnson. What's up, from guys? Marvel. Good to see you again. Thanks for coming on the show. My pleasure, of course. Today we are here to celebrate the 35-year anniversary of Aliens. Uh, as everyone knows, this is the year in July that date actually happens. So we've been promoting it, the run-up to it, whether it's video clips or discussions or mentioning it on prior episodes. We really felt like we needed to sit down and talk about it and talk about it with people that we really enjoy and admire and respect. 
So thank you everyone for coming on the show. We can do a couple of in, or a few introductions. First of all, Perry and Maj work on our IG. They're essentially our Instagram team, and but they're also a part of the show. They've been with us for, I don't know, six months to a year at least, maybe longer than that. I'm not really sure. It's all a huge blur. Philip Kennedy Johnson is back tonight. And Philip has been, you know, the last time we talked was before the comic released. It was, it was, you know, in the, right in the lead up to Alien Day. Since then, we have three, nearly four issues of it out. It's become something that, you know, I have like 30 variants of it sitting behind me on the shelf. It's been something 60. that we've all been, <laughs> I have way too many variant editions. Started drawing his own. <laughs> As do many people on this call, we've been comparing what we've been oh, picking yeah. up. We've been driving to comic stores. It's been this like, it's taken on this life of its own in fandom in the months since the last time we talked. Thanks, and it has gotten pretty clear to those who are reading it, that aliens really is the 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 spirit of aliens resonates pretty deeply, I think, with you and the way that you're treating this this book for various reasons. So we were thinking, you know, Philip was such an amazing guest the first time he was on. If he's available, we'll see if we can ping him because he clearly has a very deep connection to not only to the whole franchise, but especially to aliens and to the character of Bishop, etc. So we wanted to get you back on here tonight and talk about, you know, how the comic is going in addition to having you as part of the roundtable. So first, I will say it's been a few months now. How has reception been in the fan community and how does it feel to be, uh, you know, officially heading this Marvel title of Alien now for quite a while? Thanks, guys. It's been really awesome. I mean, the, the fans have been super great to me. The thing about taking a book like this is that there's everyone's so protective of it. Everyone has their own opinion of what it should be like. And for the most part, the reception has been super great. And I'm really happy how the story is being told. The first arc is well underway. I'll, I'll go ahead and spill the beans tonight that issue six is going to be the end of the first arc. And then we're starting a new one. Like we're in the process of doing the next one now. And I'm even more excited for that one. I'm, I'm really, I can't wait for everyone to see where this, where this, this first arc goes. And we, we planted some, some seeds in those first couple of issues that you guys spoke about on here and everyone's dumping all kinds of theories, about what, you know, what they saw, what's coming. And I can't wait for that to get, you know, resolved, like, like low, lowercase R resolved for people to see exactly what they, what it was they saw in issue one and where it could go next. Yeah, dude, I just, I can't wait for people to see more of it. But hopefully you're digging it. I feel like the uh, early one to feel like the movies to feel like another like another movie. You know, like if if Alien Three got another direction and we got another series of movies, like the, I want this to be one of those. You know, instead of the way that it went. So what are you? I'm curious to hear y'all's thoughts. When you threw in a reference to the Grant Corporation in the second issue, I was like, okay, there's there's just a little bit of love for the Dark Horse fans, and I thought that was a really nice touch. But also the the goat hooves that are visible in the first issue. Uh-huh. The payoff in the third issue, like okay, all right, you know, there's something going on here. It's planned out. I'm I'm really happy with that too. Good. I'm glad. I really like how the visual. I like how the movies from from one movie to the next they keep developing the the xenomorph visually. Like in the first one, you get just the you get the one you get the you see the whole life cycle with the the ovomorph and the chestburster and the and the drone and all that, and then later you see the queen and the nest and. Then you see the quadruped and it just keeps going and going. And I wanted to, without going completely insane, I got, you know, and the, I treat, I'm treating this like a new beginning. You know, I don't want to be like, blah, now they're flying with, you know, 
you know, magic carpet aliens and like just make it ridiculous. I wanted it to be, you know, kind of start from those original two films again and continue to develop from there, you know, as if this is the new direction from there. And yeah, the, the alpha design is one I'm very proud of. And we're going to start to work just about to see it finally. And people, I mean, between people getting teased about the alien alpha, the, uh, the xenomorph alpha, and then also seeing the, seeing Gabriel's vision at the very beginning of the first issue, they're like, oh, well, she's the alpha and it's not what I want. It's jumping the shark. And it's not the same thing. Like it's the, the thing that you saw on, on pages two and three is not like the alpha has not yet been seen, at least not like full force. So yeah, that's coming still. Just makes me feel like a kid again, man. Like I, I love it, Philip, And like, just great as aliens did when i was a child and when i watch it now it's a very nostalgic moment and so it's not like we get a film every so many years but it's it's great to just have those comics again and and i plan my day around like going to the comic store when it comes out to pick it up and and get to take the journey in that story a little bit longer and and just another thing too is i I love that we get to see more of like the whalen yutani corporation what's going on in that just in that world because you you don't get to see much of that in the films and and i mean it's left to imagination and to how evil they can be and so just to see a little bit more of that is is really great but yeah i I love it sweet man i'm glad to hear that yeah it's uh yes completely how i've always felt like i've always wanted to see more of the whale yutani stuff it's always it's always the big shadowy goliath in the background that you never really never really see there's like kind of personify evil you don't know what's back there and so and i was i was kind of hesitant to introduce another female lead that would be compared to ripley because she's just so iconic and so i thought another like an, another way to move it away from that would be to bring in a company man you know and to get to see get to see a little bit of that stuff that i really wanted to see so i hope you dig it and this next arc too dude i i'm really stoked to see where this next one goes i'm, I'm gonna start getting a little more creative with the settings and the the themes that we develop and everything. I wanted to start with with super familiar territory, something that felt very much like Alien, but also like Aliens, like the Cameron and the Ridley Scott both, with all the claustrophobia, but also the military badassery and, you know, um, trying to toe that line between those films. And then we can start to develop the new direction without, like, you know, going too far. Because like you said, I want it to feel like the, the movies, you know, like there's so many great comic yeah. runs of it that were awesome in their own right, but didn't feel like the movies. And I just, I love those movies so much. I wanted, that's what I wanted to feel like. But there's, there's definitely a, a trilogy of arcs that we're going to try to do together and, and hopefully more beyond that. But, but yeah, there's like, there's a direction that we're, there's a, there's a direction that we're going with these, with these first arcs that, man, I just want to spoil the shit out of it. I'm going to try not to. <laughs> But like there's there's all these just little sitting here like <laughs> I need to yeah I need to shut up but it's but yeah there are little seeds being planted that we'll see develop in the next in the next arc in the next and it's I think you're really gonna dig it I mean for for people I mean I'm I'm among my own people here right now what I really really love about what you you guys were doing with this first series is the ambiguity of the company and that a company can be both amazing for what they do. And also doing something horrible at the same time, because that's what companies do. That's what companies do in the real world. And I like that for for as long as we know, Wayland yutani has been this malevolent company, you know, and no one really knows who they are, what they do. But most of us watching these films just see it as the evil company. But I like that 
that's that's just not reality. Oftentimes, even terrible companies do wonderful things. And I like that you guys have, or you have positioned Wayland Yutani in the gray. And I think that it makes it more, it makes it worse because you can't really hate it, but you can at the same time. So bravo. To yeah. I, I wanted it to be like a lot of shades of gray in this book. And I mean, we don't see, we never see Will Yutani in a good light per se, but we do, <laughs> but they, you know, not, not everyone who works for Amazon is a monster. You know? Like it's, yeah. it's every, right. every corporation is made up of people, of human beings. And I, I did want to at least introduce a couple of characters who are within the company who are more sympathetic, you know, not even necessarily the lead, like, because he, he himself has always seen himself as one of the good guys. Like they keep saying, like, we're going to save the world someday. We're going to save the world someday. And I wanted to see, you know, some of the well-meaning people, even if they're just lying to themselves the whole time, you know, mixed in with, with the monsters. And yeah, anyway, I just love doing this book, man. <laughs> So, I feel like yeah. that was one one of the most shocking things in that first issue was realizing how humanized the Wayland Yutani employees were and how out of your way you were going to do that, you know? Because it really hurt when like the low level doc employees were getting shot and, and and it felt like a real like real humans. And and I had never seen Wayland Yutani portrayed that way before in any form of media. It's always been this faceless corporate shit show. And yeah, you 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 with that, I mean, especially with like those two pages, like you, you personally rein, reinvigorated the way that I think of Wayne Dutani. Like it's you, you really made an imprint on me as a fan. So thank you oh, for that. Thanks, dude. I'm glad. Yeah, I, I mean, people like those, like the fire guard security people who who get mowed down, and then the uh, the Marines later who get you know, Cruz is like, give me five cents. I don't want to bring people with you know, wives and loved ones. And he's like, no, no, you got two real guys. And that's all you get. Like is they only gave them to him because they're cheaper. And so you see, you know, it reestablishes how heartless the corporation is, but there's also real people, part of that, that are just getting chewed up with the machinery along with everyone else. So I'm really glad I get to talk about it on this episode in particular, because it, it draw it takes such influence from that second movie with, with Bishop, especially. And I, I love that. Bishop is one of my favorite characters of, of all the canon. So to get to bring him back was, was super fun. It was funny when they, when they offered me the gig, they were like, yeah, you can use, if you want to use characters from the old movies you totally can we encourage you to do that and they said however if you use michael bean it's going to be a big pain in the ass <laughs> and i was like really and they're like yeah so i don't know why there's something to do with him i don't there was some kind of rumbling that he doesn't like his likeness to be used i don't know if he doesn't want to be used or he just wants to make sure he controls it or what but apparently if i, I could use i could use ripley i could use ian holm or whatever but if i wanted to use michael bean that was going to be a problem. Like Hicks. If I had to, if I wanted to use Hicks, that was going to like, don't use him unless you really have to, uh, which I kind, of, I kind of found funny. Mark, Mark Verhayden, Verhayden back, back in the day with the Dark Horse talked about that, how by having half his face acid burned, they got around the likeness issue. And by having huh. Newt be grown up in their story, they got around that likeness issue. So clearly there is something in there. But I want yeah. to say those, the two security guards remind me of Simpson and Lidecker from from aliens, from the, the Hadley's Hope colony that, mm. you know, they're, they're carrying their coffee cups and it's, it's a shitty job and all this stuff. So that, that idea of low level people working for the company and not in themselves inherently being evil, that's been there. But I feel like in the last 35 years, it really has gotten lost in that sense of Whale Yutani is evil. So I'm, I'm happy to see that return too. Of Now, at the same time, those two security guards may not be quite as innocent as your comment goes on because clearly they were guarding some pretty crazy stuff. 
So I think that even our interpretation of them is going to change as your as your issues roll out. Yeah, I mean, there, yeah, there's a, there's a little bit of ambiguity with how much everyone on that station even knows is happening there. And yeah, I, yeah, I mean, it's the the, the anti corporate sentiment is definitely like a deep part of the lore, and it's not one I'm interested in in losing. It's important to keep that. But yeah, there's also every corporation is made up of, of human beings. So I. Like if, if there's one theme that runs through all my work or I, that I try to keep in the front of my work is that everyone is a hero of their own story. Like nobody knows they're the bad guy, you know, or no, nobody should. So I like to, you know, focus in close on the characters that make up this, this evil corporation that is the true monster of the Alien series and show that individually, most of them are not so bad. But this this gigantic thing that they're a part of is, is just grown bigger than any of them. And they just they've lost control of it. Quick question for you: What what about Bishop? Is your why do you like him so much? What is it about him? Man, I just love. He's such a sympathetic character in that movie. Like, I love that he is so inherently good. He's like the most human of all of us. Like, at least the not the most human, but the most. Like, if you're gonna aspire to be like any one character in that movie, who's the least piece of shit is Bishop, and. <laughs> And he's the android. And I love that. And I love that he, you know, I kind of love the the baggage that Ripley brings from her her stuff with Ash. And she just inherently distrusts and just hates him. Like, get fuck away from me. I don't want to see you. And um, and Bishop just kind of takes it on the nose. He's like, cool, I'm just going to help. All I do is help. And then later you see, you know, you see Ripley come around to the point where she's one of the very few that she trusts. He's one of the very few that she trusts. And actually becomes one of those those chosen few in her in her new her new family she's built up around herself by the end. I just I love his arc. It's not like he has changed all that much, but I love his his arc within the context of the of that core surrogate family. I love what a just inherently good guy he was and just never never questioned his his role in it. And yeah, he just I love him in a lot of the same ways that I love Superman, honestly. Like when I'm um just the guy who just you aspire to be more like and doesn't matter if he's getting abused or kicked around. He just does the right thing. So yeah, I like Bishop. And it's a funny question though, because it's, it's a question of like, so where do his loyalties lie? Like, do I, I had to, there's some stuff coming up in the book where I had to decide, okay, is there some kind of a, like a order 66 thing in his head that's going to flick over like where he's like, can they, can the corporation control him if they want to, is he, does he have some underlying loyalty to the company? And in the end, it felt like, it, I don't know. I didn't know what to do with it. I, that was, I kind of got, I found a way to get around that, but. That's kind and, of yeah. one of those things. that's almost a little untapped. Did you find yourself like, you know, walking down, you know, coming upon these little corridors of, of, you know, these questions of like, well, that hasn't really been, concretely established whether you know yeah there's a there's a decision like some decisions coming up or like well, shit what's he do like where does his and in the end I, I made the decision by remembering that he was his his core his core programming was based on the programming of the the irobot stuff like the preserving human life and not allowing harm to come to them and blah 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 and i decided that that should be his core as well so he's he's still inherently good and if it came to if there, if he comes to a cross, a fork in the road where he has to either save someone's life or, you know, serve the company's bottom line, he's going to save a life because that's to me that feels like who he is. But also because that that core programming thing, like when he said, you know, 
I'm unable to harm or by omission of action allowed to be harmed a human being. That's who Bishop is to me. So yeah, I just, I decided to stay true to that. I, th I think that's part of the appeal of his character is that he's Asimovian in a non-Asimovian science fiction universe, right? Like he has this purity to him at the core that, that speaks to like the fans. Cause like everything in Alien kind of circles around this, this nihil, almost nihilistic thing. And yeah. then you get these moments of real brightness and real like humanity and be yeah, a Bishop, I think represents that. It would have been, it would have felt really like too bleak to make, to make Bishop a traitor too, to make him like a, just another company tool. Like the rest of us just felt just too far. Like, like, no, I can't, I can't do that to Bishop. It doesn't make, it doesn't feel right. So yeah, Bishop to me had to still be that same inherently good person that, that we, that we knew from the second film. Before we move on, because I've been, I've been holding this for like 15 minutes and I'm about to fall over. I want to just do a little casual flex that I got the short box. That oh was issued. <laughs> have, you, have you seen this yet, Philip? Oh, that's no, awesome. Yeah, it's it's it's. I'll I'll pick one up and send it to you. I actually mean that because I, I, there's one at the comic store near me. And I'm noticing when I go to the store now, there's like second printings and and things, and it seems like it's doing well. Can you give us a sense, like, is it selling? As it's hoped for? yeah, it's selling great. I'm not. I mean, yeah. I uh, I have not heard on the on how well three and four have sold. I'm, I'm I don't got all those updates unless I really like chase them down for them. Right. But but yeah, they. I mean, they they printed 130 thousand of that first run, and they sold out of it like snap, like just crazy, really quick, and printed again. And then they ran out of the second issue as well. And I don't know what that second issue run was, but they you know they base their approximations for the second issue based on how well the first one sold they, like there's going to be some expected drop off for every book so the fact that that one also sold out is super encouraging yeah i mean there's there's a lot of people who are just and i this is totally just part of the game like some people are not going to be happy because they have such a clear opinion a clear vision of what alien is very much like we do and you're not going to please everyone and that's totally cool but for the most part people have been super happy with it and sales completely bear that out. Like, the, I mean, sales have been really terrific, honestly. So I got, I mean, I'm really happy how it's been going. Congratulations, my friend. That's freaking great. Thanks, dude. And at the end of the day, what's happening is the IP is continuing in, in, a, in a really different way. And I think that's what we all want. We don't want this to die. We don't want it to fade out. But we also don't want a repeat of, of the things that we've seen before. And it that's not happening. And it's doing well. So I, I, I think it's a really exciting time as an alien fan and as fans who don't get a movie every five years, or we don't really right. know when the next thing, I mean, the only thing on the horizon is the Hulu series, which we don't really know when that's going to happen either. So I think it's a really great way to buoy everything right now and to keep people's yeah. interest going and, and the excitement going. Yeah. Disney really seems to be putting a lot of, putting a lot of heat behind this, this new property and um, not just with the comic, but also with like the, like the fire team game coming out soon, which I am fucking stoked for. And I, I don't game much. I mean, I, I love gaming, but I, lately I've not had not made much time to game, but I mean, business will just have to suffer when fire team comes out. <laughs> I, I am just insanely stoked to play that. And I mean, that stuff's canon from what I'm seeing. It looks like they're really putting some thought into the lore that's going into that game. Like they've made, like found little excuses for the different kinds, like the spitters and the the tank one and the, like all these different ones, like they're trying to make it all legit. And so I'm like, well, crap, I wonder if we can work some of this into the, the next book or oh, like, um, how cool would that just be? Yeah. Or, yeah. you know, the you know, weapons from what we saw in the second <laughs> film. Like I want to, I want to totally use that gear and just anything, anything I can use from that game property in a way that makes sense. I'm not going to shoehorn it all in, but if there's a way I can use that stuff and kind of cross the streams a bit. I totally would love to. 
the game is in the same time period as your comic as well. They're both. I know. Okay. okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now, Philip, did you read the the tie-in novel Alien Infiltrator? Not Infiltrator. I read um, Charybdis. Oh, okay. All right. But um, Infiltrator has um, a former Marine named Cruz as one of the main characters. I heard that after the fact. And it's, it's <laughs> yeah. Common last name, I guess. But it's just a funny yeah, thing. Yeah, I'm yeah. reading it I'm like, well, wait a minute. I'm reading a comic book about this guy. <laughs> right. Yeah, my bad. <laughs> I didn't know that. <laughs> That's all the plan. <laughs> the one, the one, the one media like arm that I'm not super caught up on is novels, but I am getting, and I've been trying. Like I, I worked in little things from the isolation game and dark horse stuff here and there, but I'm trying not to like overwhelm with Easter eggs. Just making it super clear that it's all it's all in, in movie canon. Well, we should continue on, but let's segue into, in terms of us talking about aliens, really made the genre what it, or made the series what it is. I, I think that there's no question of that, but we want to, we've always talked about what this film means to us and when we experienced it, but we want to go through that again. And I, I guess I can start, and just in terms of like how we were exposed to this, and for many of us, it was our parents or our father. Like for myself, it started in whatever year it was in Chicago. And I was watching a TV with my dad. Don't go there, Patrick. I see <laughs> During the war of Northern aggression. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Jamie, you saw it in a screening room you on know. the Titanic. Yeah, yeah. Christian was high, there with Jamie. me because we're the same age. Uh, <laughs> uh, but I was watching uh, black TV, black and white TV and, in the 80s and uh this commercial came on for aliens and i i remember seeing first i just saw the gun or the the incinerator lighting up all the eggs and i was like what is this like i and my dad is like do you know what you're seeing i'm like no what's going on and he's like she's killing all these eggs i'm like well what is this and he's like do you want to watch this movie Spoilers, and i dad. said yes and my mom was there and she's like honey he can't watch that movie but he might I watched it with my dad and he was the first person I also watched Alien 3 with years later. So my father is really my love of sci-fi comes from him, but I would not be exposed to aliens without him. And so to me and his birthday is April 26th. So what? yeah, I know. So it's That's incredible. My dad awesome. when wow. for me this series cool. reflects my father as much as it reflects anything else. So it's just he is why I'm here and he is why I love this movie so much and then I would go on to watch it every day after school when I was 15, every day after school without sit down in my parents' living room put it on the VHS copy, I think, or I would go to Blockbuster Video and I would rent it. So I, that's some of the best memories of my life. So that's, that's me. This is a random question. And now I'm just curious since it was like a, a, a video, did you watch like a pan and scan version for like the first hundred times? No, you could rent the widescreen or you could rent oh, the pan cool. and scan. I would always rent the widescreen. I'd never, I mean, it was, people would say like, oh no, it cuts off, you know, like it's this thin thing, in the front, <laughs> you know, but I'm like, that's the way, like, I would prefer that because you see everything. Whereas, you know, with the video, it's the, the square and what is it? 4.1 or I don't know what the aspect ratio 4. was. 4.3. Uh, 4.3. Yeah. 4. 3, yeah. 
It is cool. I love that you had that connection with your dad with that movie. Yeah, I had Aliens. I, I loved it, honestly. I, I, Philip, I know you asked what, how deep are we into it, and I, I'd say I'm all the way down the rabbit hole with the whole franchise. And I, it, it's very somewhat similar to Jamie. I, at least like with film and cinema and movies, everything like that, my dad was a big just influence on me and, and let me watch films like that when I was younger. But with Aliens, Aliens specifically, I watched with my father, but Aliens was one of those things. I had a really good buddy in grade school that like when we would do sleepovers and hang out and and we'd watch movies, he also liked like these, the alien films and aliens was one that we would like quote together as friends. And it was just kind of a way that we bonded over that. And we, he had like all the Kenna, Kenner, oh my gosh, can't believe I almost Kenner figures. I can't talk. And we would look for them in the stores and try to find them and buy them all. And so we collected those. And now to this day, like I still collect like the NECA figures and, and I'm so excited for their Kenner line coming out that that was just a huge part of it for me. But it was, yeah, it was just a way like Jamie, I'd watch it too all the time. I, I still do. I watch Alien, Aliens, Alien 3, probably the most out of all of them. But day after day, I'd, I watch them all the time. And I, what I truly loved about Aliens, how James Cameron like took what was set up in Alien, just with the story and everything like that. And I know we're going to kind of talk about like how it is the sequel of all sequels for um, movies, they're kind of paved the way for that sort of thing. But I just love that he expanded on those characters so much more. Like, Philip, you're talking about Bishop, and he he definitely could have made Bishop be just like another Ash or something, or not come back at the end for Ripley or something like that, where there's this betrayal and only working for the company. But he didn't. And I feel like with the that character arc, that wasn't... That was something maybe kind of uncommon, but it made that just pushed the film and into this greatness and and with ripley the the actors hicks hudson like it had like the perfect recipe for what was there where you and just how it was shot i watched it today and i was just like man when they're in the nest in the first part you really get this point of view from everybody like you're there you're in that nest with everyone and god what's another line ripley said when they're sleep when she's sleeping with newt and they wake up and the face huggers or burke left the face huggers in the in the medical room where they're sleeping and they're standing by the door and newt goes i'm scared and ripley goes she says me too and i'm just like oh man like yeah like ripley's supposed to be this huge badass like it's actually killed one of these things before but she's still scared i'm like i'd be terrified <laughs> And I, and I just feel like that's what you, um, yeah, I just, I just, I loved that film. I, I, you know, still do watch it all the time, but it's very much a nostalgic thing for me. Makes me feel like a kid again, but it, it also just, it's just a great representation of people and struggle and, and what, how do you persevere out of those from something like that? Yeah. So there it is. <laughs> well, I'll go next. Again, my dad was the the one that showed me the film first and he was ex-military, so I think there was a little bit of that. Like he was really happy with what he was seeing in the film, and that it resonated with his own experience to some extent. And of course, when I first saw it, it was on television, so it was that really crazy cut where they took out all the swears and the violence, but they put in the smart guns. And so then we rented it. And like, where, you know, why is everyone cussing? And where are, the, where are those smart guns? And I remember I actually paid a friend of mine to dub down his laser disc of the special edition onto VHS so that I could watch it. 
and I'm sitting there with my best friend. And that's the first time you actually hear or see the words Wailing Yutani. We're like, what the hell is that? Wailing Yutani. And then that's when you hear that her name is Ellen Ripley. And somehow she'd always just been Ripley, you know, and Dwayne Hicks. Like, oh, okay. You know, when you've seen a movie a hundred times to suddenly have these weird little details and they're part of it, like, ah, it took a while. But my dad was, uh, was battling skin cancer and it ended up claiming his, his life, but he was a big on visualizing, like visualizing his own white blood cells killing the cancer. And that kind of a mantra, it just became indelibly tied to aliens for me. You have the colonial Marines who are fighting the cancer. The cancer is the aliens. And the humanity of those characters, and you talk about Bishop, you know, watch your fingers. That little line when they're, when they're sealing him into the tube, you know, it just, boy, it, it gets me now thinking about it. Or Hicks telling, telling Newt not to play with the hand grenade. And he's really gentle about it. There's just these wonderful little moments that uh, a lesser writer wouldn't have added that create so much more, so much more reason to root for these people, you know? So Aliens has just been, it, it just bowled me over the first time I saw it. And every single time I watch it, I get caught up in the struggle and the, 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 the incredible odds that they're up against. So beautifully put that, that that's something I wanted to touch on because I've been, so my story with just the movie isn't as interesting or sentimental even. I, my, my big connection was the first movie, and then I would catch bits of all the other movies. And then eventually, I think way down the line, even though I'd seen parts of it, when I finally saw Aliens from beginning to end, it was, you know, I was in my 20s. And then I went through this phase of like, I just want to live in this movie. So I would just watch it. Like, I watched it for weeks, and I would just put it on all the time. But the thing that you were touched on Christian about the heart in the movie, that's pure Cameron. And that's just like, that's the reason the thing I'm Jamie wanted to do this show to talk about why aliens endures and like why it, why it can't be touched. And like, I think if you're going to boil it down to one thing, it is James Cameron because he, he is that, that at least at that point, you know, that old ideal of the director of what, Coppola said or whatever that were, the directors the the last bastion of the of dictatorship or whatever we're just like you know it was what he wanted and he had so, so many great ideas and it just seemed fully formed almost like impossibly so but the heart injected throughout the movie is is I, I don't I think it's kind of a, a miss a misnomer or whatever to say people have aliens for the guns and the action and all that I, I think that's like what gets that's like what, what might bring you but what keeps you is is all that stuff is that like even when vasquez decides that her and gorman aren't going to make it and they're going to pull the grenade the pin on the grenade i remember when i was in that period of like obsessing watching the movie over and over again i was like the scene is so is so effective and so it's seven seconds long when they're in that shaft and it's it's all these cuts. She looks at him. They they it cuts to the to the aliens in one in uh, coming down one side of the shaft. The other side, they exchange a look. You always were an asshole, Gorman. The pull the pin. Look at each other. Bear down for the blast. Like that happens in less than ten seconds, and it's just like it just gets you. And then it's like it, it's so artful. It's so elegant because like you don't need you don't need a lot really. And that's Cameron. Like he's from an older school of filmmaker. I mean, at that point, it was just like so much craft and. I think it's the heart. I think that like you could say that aliens and alien end on the same 
story beat of them drifting off in hypersleep and evil is vanquished or whatever. But in Alien, it's a much more foreboding note of maybe the company, maybe the network will pick me up. But here, evil is vanquished. There's a family unit. We are, you know, we are one again. Victory is like the emotional beat of like the end of the story. And that's not really, that that isn't present in any of the other, in the whole series. That's like, that's one of the things that sets it apart. And just like the narrative satisfaction of like, it's very, you know, classic hero's journey stuff of like, you know, Ripley refuses the call. Then she comes, then she's in the belly of the whale and like all that stuff. And, you know, and just like, so just to touch back on like my personal connection, like, yeah, it was, it was more intimate thing of me just like loving, just soaking up every, every little, you know, micron of this movie. And then I, I think my favorite experience with it though, and this is the true, you know, movies are meant to be shared. That's the thing. It's like a lot of our favorite movies are movies we've watched alone a lot, but my favorite time was back in 2019 when they did the, when they put alien back in theaters, when fathom did it or whatever, I took my friends to see it. They'd never seen it, had a ball, obviously it was incredible. And then we're in the parking lot and they're asking what happens in the second one? You know, they're, they're speculating. And I'm like, well, we got to watch it. You guys are in for a treat. So I watched with my two friends. I went and saw alien with, and then a couple other friends and we watched on my, my friend had just bought this massive, like, I don't even know, like 60, 70 inch crazy Samsung. And he had these big speakers. So it's like the presentation was there and we're, we're all sitting and we're all grown men. And like, I was the only one who'd seen the film and to see these grown dudes, like by the time they're in the egg chamber and all that, I am looking, I'm not even watching. I'm just looking at the guys in the room. Cause they are literally on the edge of their seats. Go, Oh God. Oh God. Oh no. And I'm like, this is a magic trick. This movie is just so perfect. And also I'm going to shut up in a second, but just a couple of things that I think sets aliens apart is something that feeds into that satisfaction i think for the viewer is that it gives you very concrete rules and answers it answers things i think when we when i was in that viewing with my friends it it illuminated a lot because like when you see the queen you're so far in the movie and then you get this big answer and it's such a cathartic thing to even just see the queen and be like oh my god and now we're here and the rules the world building the scope of it like i think even the the scope alien is a small is a small story alien three is a small story resurrection is 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 what it is it's like you know funhouse mirror version of everything i was waiting for it and i think the only the only other instance we might get a bit i mean prometheus yes but prometheus was like trying to stuff like it's like you're at the buffet and your plate's too small and they couldn't fit all of it on the plate and shit is falling off on the floor and egg rolls are going down the hallway and, but <laughs> The, but I think maybe only in like Covenant, in the flashback sequences, we get something of like the scope, even just like the dropship pulling away as they nuke the site from orbit. It's just like, it's just everything. It's just perfect. What can what more can you say? And the camaraderie. There's like actual camaraderie in that movie that isn't present in any other movie in the series, period. Anyway, we have it on disc, so you better look at it. Any questions? What is it, Private? How do I get out of this chicken shit outfit? You secure that shit, Hudson. All right. Now listen up. 
I want this thing to go smooth and by the numbers. I want DCS and tactical database assimilation by 0830. Ordnance loading, weapon strip, and drop ship prep details will have seven hours. Now move it, people. All right, sweethearts, you heard the man and you know the drill. Assholes and elbows. Hudson, come here. Come here. So I'm going to show you guys a picture to show you my, my connection. So when I was a little kid, this was this is me and my mom. And you can see a little bit oh. from the picture. My mom, like, really, mm. to me as a child, resembled oh, Ellen yeah. Ripley a lot. She has, like, the black curly hair and, you know. Yeah. It really was... um. Kind of like it was weird for me to see that as a seven-year-old and and to and to be like, wow, my mom is like in this movie, and then you know to realize that doesn't really make sense. Hang on, maybe she did it when she was like younger, and then to be like, oh, that's actually a different person. But she really imprinted on me as like a, a corollary to to my mother, and and I have a really close relationship with my, with my mom to this day. And I still look at my mom uh, a lot like the Ellen Ripley that we see in the second film, because to me the 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 maternal aspect to her in that movie is like. It is such a place of warmth and such a place of deep love that she has for Newt and for you know everybody basically in that movie. She is she is like the the tie that gets them that binds them through this whole thing. And that comfort food role has only deepened over time. And I know I speak for everybody on this call when I say that that you know this is a film that we can watch essentially infinitely. You know, I think we've all burned out VHS copies of it. You know, we all found pirated laserdisc copies of the special edition in the mid nineties. You know. We all, the first thing I ever bought on eBay was a used shell casing from the set. You know, this this thing for my entire life has been like the, the, the most comforting alien artifact that I know of. And it's something that to this day, like, I, I think that a lot of what Ripley does in the film informs my parenting style, you know? The way that she reacts to Newt when she says, you know, uh, my mommy always said that there were no monsters you know, and, and no real ones, but there are, right? And, and Ripley doesn't tell her, like, no, like, don't worry about it. You know, just, just pretend like it's not happening. Ripley is very honest with her about the actual real present danger that they're in. You know, she doesn't sugarcoat it. Just like Perry was saying before, right? She admits that she's also afraid. And I think as a parent, that's a hard thing to do sometimes. It's it's It can be daunting when, you know, when you're in a situation that's genuinely dangerous to admit that you're also afraid too, right? But that's a, obviously a human thing to feel, and that's a healthy thing to admit. So yeah, there's a real deep comfort, maternalistic comfort at the heart of the film for me. When I was a kid, I, I was this actually hit me today because I was I was putting together our interview with Ben Percy, Benjamin Percy, the other another awesome comics writer who's is going to air before this episode does. And we were talking about the three movies, and we were talking about you know Alien versus Aliens versus Alien Three, and I, and I was it brought me back for some reason to this conversation that I had on a playground with my friends Sam Rebichel and Greg Morrow. Two people whom I haven't spoken with in probably 20 years. I don't know where they are. Some crazy chance they're listening to this. Thank you guys for like getting me into this shit. But but Greg Morrow's father worked for Kenner Toys, and he brought a the gorilla alien that I talk about all the time, like my favorite toy of all. He brought like the, like one of the initial prototypes of it to the playground when I was seven years old, and I remember sitting there on this picnic bench outside my school, you know, this like little kid sized picnic bench and looking at this thing and being so mystified by it. And, and I remember Greg and Sam being like, well, so there's, there's, you know, there's two movies. There's a third one coming out. First one's alien. Cause there's only one second one's aliens. Cause there's a bunch of them. This was only going to have one. Cause it's called alien again. And I remember thinking like, whoa, this is really, really interesting. 
and thinking, well, the alien is so fucking cool. I want to see the one that has the most in it, right? <laughs> so like, so I saw the first film and I was like, bring it on. And then from that moment on, for most of my childhood, Aliens was just this like constant touch point for me for like for fucking everything, for playground games, for my imagination, for when I'd be asleep in my cryopod, which was my bunk bed, you know, for waking up and pretending I was like putting my feet down on the cold floor and getting yelled at by Apone, you know, to go to school. Like this has been like the seat of my imaginative self for such a long time. And I think that it is that for everybody, and it's it, it is that for my kids today. Because as as I mentioned on the show before, you know, this is a core part of our like imaginary. We were literally tonight, and I wasn't doing this like in preparation for this episode. Like tonight, we were playing Nerf outside, pretending we were hunting, pretending we were Colonial Marines on a playset, you know. And like that's something that wouldn't exist without that film, but it's still a constant source of comfort and fun for us. You know, I think about people like Froyland Gardner, who is designing a special edition shirt for alien for our 35th anniversary events this year. So be on the lookout for that. Froyland and I met kind of a, in a weird way outside of fandom, and then realized that we knew each other also in fandom and connected the dots on it. So I went over his house one time, and as as I was wading through the incredible like sideshow collector, he has like all of like the huge you know maquette collectibles from the aliens shit. He was such a deep fan of this stuff. You know, aliens was playing in the background, and I was like, oh, that's so funny. You were like watching aliens. He's like, I'm always watching aliens. It's like really. He's like, <laughs> I every single day I watch aliens while I'm working all day long, and there's no other movie like that. Like there's no other movie that I could put on any time of day, no matter what I'm up to for thousands of times and just watch it and lose myself in it. But Aliens is that film. So yeah, so to make a long story short, it's it's the one that has stuck with me the most. It's not my favorite, but it's the one that feels somehow deepest in my heart at this point. And I think I, think I speak for a lot of us in that regard. Quick rapid fire. I know where Christian stands, but theatrical or special edition? I go theatrical. Theatrical. If I, if, you know, even though I'm, I'm, I only listen. Only the the scene where Newt's parents get it. Cut that, and the special edition is just everything to me. Everything. I love all that, but that's just I don't know. That's just a personal thing. Preference. Is it Newt's mom that bothers no, you? No, it's the whole. It's the the. It's the only Feels scene that where the effects don't work for me, and and it also just like. Okay, so when 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 they first find the derelict in the first movie, it's this uh, mystical, like hor horrifying, mysterious. But then they're just like, "Hey, mom and dad, like let's like go up to the ship." And then like this guy's like wearing like a striped T-shirt, like it was silly. Anyway, sorry, I'm sorry. Do you know what I remember though? And I don't know if anyone else has this experience, but like you said, Christian, when they were editing the the theatrical for television they had to get rid of all the swears so they put the the gun of the century guns in that whole scene which is only found in the special edition i remember years after seeing that as a very young person talking people like there's this one scene with these guns and people were like i don't know what you're talking about nobody knew what i was talking about and then the special edition came out I'm like i'm not crazy there are the guns but there was this good 10 years i don't know how long something like that where i had seen those sentry guns firing in the hallway and nobody knew what I was talking about. Nobody at all. And it was just this like mysterious thing. So I was just curious if anybody else had that experience. I had, I had a similar experience with alien three with the beginning and I had seen it once where it was, the thing comes out of a dog 
And then at some point I saw another version. This might've been Laserdisc too. I think the, like when I first went to college, my friend Laserdisc player and he brought out this CD that was this big. <laughs> I was like, what the hell is that? And it's like, it's a Laserdisc, let's do this. And we watched, I want to say, I want to say Alien 3 is what we watched on it. And, and it was an ox. And I was like, I thought it was a dog. And it was, I had such vivid memories of seeing that dog's hide get ripped open. And, and every time I bring it up to anyone for years, they were like, I don't know, whatever you're, you don't know what you're saying, but yeah, nobody, nobody else I had met for years and years had ever seen that version. Strange. I have to say, I, there was a time in my life, maybe it was when I was like in high school or something, I'd seen the special edition by then, but I had, I actually really enjoyed it. And I, and I had gotten in this idea into my head. I loved the movie, like the story of it so much that I loved trying to get my hands or trying to watch any of the extended cuts of all the films because it gave me like just more of the story in a sense. And I, and I wasn't really thinking about it in like how it was edited and, and like the smoothness of the, the story in that realm of it. Yeah. So I, I really enjoy, so I enjoy both, but now as I've studied film more and, and I see like why alien makes sense jamie like when we talked about the the cocooning scene and and why it just kind of stops the the momentum of the of that whole ending sequence and things like that but anyway yeah i i actually i like the special editions of aliens for sure you learn about ripley and like her how long she's been out and burke kind of gives that little story about how she had a daughter and things like that and and that like made it even more i was like oh man yeah and the Dwayne and ellen scene how they cut that yeah can't be more than three seconds. I, don't I know, that. right? That's uh, gold, though. When you're editing a film and you've got a that two-hour yeah. mark, though, and they're like, "What can we cut? What can we cut? We can cut this." You know, we know who they are. That would make sense. But yeah. It does slow it down just a little bit. Yeah, she's supposed Kill to be going and saving the kid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, yeah, so that's your, that's your Philip. What What was your What's your story? I know we've heard part of it before, but. Yeah. I mean, I can't compare with some of those. I mean, I, you guys have got these super emotional connections with like family, loved ones and all that. And I don't have that. My, my family, my parents were not supportive of any of this stuff. And they're like, my mom is <laughs> kind of a, kind of a prude about these things. And dad just thinks like all movies are shit basically. And like I, I just never. So my, my house was not like a birthday party type place, but at some point when my folks split up, mom let me have some friends over and I, and we watched a horror movie And the first movie. The first horror movie I ever saw was night of the living dead, I believe. But not long after that was like, at some point I, I happened upon alien and I can't remember how it happened. Like last time I thought, I don't, I don't, I don't decide like decisively remember if it was alien or aliens that I saw first, because I would have been about probably eight years old either way. I'm not sure. Yeah. I, my heart tells me it was the first one. And I just remember getting my mind blown every like five minutes. I mean, between see the derelict, then you see the inside of it and the space jockey, you're just like, what is happening? And they basically don't even talk about it again. And then like the face hugger and like, there's all the, and you know, the, the dinner scene and just one after the next, there's all these boom in your face, mind blowing moments. And I just, never recovered from that movie i just like i'm so enwrapped with it but then the second when i saw that second one which will almost certainly have been on tv like the, the you know the uh crappy edited version with no squares and all that i mean the first one horrified me and i could not look away and i'm just 
just loved it so much. The second one, though, I remember it is like captivating me and I had to see what happened to the characters. It wasn't just about what is this craziness. It was about really loving these characters. And you guys have all talked about it and how these little moments were in there made such a huge difference. And that's completely true. Like you guys, I mean, at, at least you've already spoken about that moment where I guess she wakes up from there. The, the, the girls wake up from their nap and there's a face hugger in there. And she, the four, the words I remember from that scene first, she's like, wake up, we're in trouble. And she's, and she just says it, you know, she's like, we are in trouble. And then later she's like, I'm scared. And Ripley's like me too. And she's so honest. And that's why she trusts her. And that's why we, the audience trust her. Like early on, she tries to bullshit her about the doll. Like, Oh, look, I don't see any scary monsters in here. She's okay. And, and Newt's like, she's a doll asshole. <laughs> and, and she's Verbatim. like, you're right. She's a doll. My bad. And after that, she's very honest with her. And that just makes you fall in love with them both so much. Yeah. God, there's so many great characters, not just the characters specific, like individually, but the way they interact is so awesome. Just the way the relationships. Yeah. I was just captivated by the characters in a way, even as, even as a young kid, I just had to see what happened to these people, you know? And I mean, the other part of it that they really won me over was just the concept of the, the, the horrifying alien life cycle and how it, you know, how it, reproduces and it didn't really deal with it much but i i mean it made sense to me that they looked human because they came from us and even before alien 3 came out i used to like sit in the back of a classroom and just make up different aliens that might come from all these different things because i just you know the whole alien comes out of these 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 eggs so what happens if it went on to you know an eagle or a snake or whatever and I would just make up these different versions of aliens that might be out there. Perry is salivating right now. I am. <laughs> so, so many toys to buy. Yeah. yeah. So when, when Alien 3 came out, that was like made for me. I was like, oh my God, like this is happening. Like I, I've always wanted to see this. So yeah, I just, I don't have a connection to it with like for, you know, my mother or my dad or anything really meaningful in that in the way you guys described to me, it just spoke to me on just this fundamental level. Just every aspect of it made sense to me so much. I just, I love the characters. I love the world building. I love that it doesn't sugar, it doesn't like spoon feed you all the little bits of lore. Like you kind of have to figure out for yourself. I just love everything about it. And I've, I mean, after growing up on watching them, just the crappy TV versions, when I went to college and met my friend, the cinephile who had all these laser discs and DVDs, I started to actually just like discover the legit version and watch them with the commentary, which I thought was incredible. And, and the alien movies were some of the very first ones I reached out for when I first was being exposed to the dude's collection. And I just never looked back. Yeah. So there it is. I, when people ask me which one alien one or two that, you know, is my favorite, I, I'm all, I always kind of have to pause. Cause I mean, they're both tens out of 10 easy. And in the end, I mean, gun to my head, I got to go to the first one just because it was so unbelievably impactful. Like, again, just the, just getting your mind blown over and over and over and over again in the film. And I, I've never had an experience like that in a, in a movie before. But that second one, just from the, just from a, a, like a craft perspective, just like how good that movie is and how much more focus it is on character, just blowing out the world building the way that they did, making the world bigger and visually more interesting, just developed everything from the first one and how ballsy it was to completely reinvent the franchise and not feel the need to re to, to do again what Ridley had done. 
I don't know. It's I'm right back to square one with I can't I can't choose. The second one is just such a masterpiece. Look, those two specimens are worth millions to the bioweapons division, right? Now, if you're smart, we can both come out of as heroes and we will be set up for life. You're crazy, Bert. Do you know that? Do you really think you can get a dangerous organism like that past ICC quarantine? How can they impound it if they don't know about it? But they will know about it, Burke. For me. Just like they'll know that you were responsible for the deaths of 157 colonists. Wait a second. You sent them to that ship. You're wrong. I just checked the colony log. Directive dated 61279, signed Burke, Carter J. You sent them out there and you didn't even warn them. Why didn't you warn them, Burke? Okay, look. What if that ship didn't even exist? Did you ever think about that? I didn't know. So now if I went and made a major security situation out of it, everybody steps in, administration steps in, and there's no exclusive rights for anybody. Nobody wins. So I made a decision, and it was wrong. It was a bad call, Ripley. It was a bad call. Bad call? Right. These people are dead, Burke! Don't you have any idea what you've done here? Well, I'm gonna make sure that they nail you right to the wall for this. You're not gonna sleaze your way out of this one. Right to the wall. I've said this most of my life, certainly on the show, ad infinitum, in terms of my love for Ripley and the character. And But I always never feel like people really understand it. I'm sure all of us here understand the idea that this movie speaks to you in a way that maybe a lot of your friends just don't get. You're like, oh yeah, you love that movie, but it's not just a movie, man. It's more than that. But to the point of character, I will never forget as a 15-year-old the darkness that I was living in as a child and how Ripley was just the anchor point for that. And I would watch that movie over and over because I could see what she was doing and somehow, some way, she was giving me hope. She was giving me hope that I could turn 16, that I could turn 17, that I could turn 18 and leave. She, and I knew that if she could escape her darkness, I could too, you know? And I wasn't even processing that in the way that I am now as an adult, but somewhere in my psyche that was keeping me watching this film every day for two years after school, something was saying, okay, you can do this, you can do this, you can do this. And it speaks to the power of the character that, James Cameron wrote or that he furthered uh, aliens isn't my favorite of the trilogy as everyone knows but that version of Ripley is it has nothing to do with her gender or anything the character her character where you have someone faced with darkness what do you do and not just the darkness of the alien she's not that's she faces that later on the darkness she's facing is the company and putting her back out there and putting her in harm's way. And at the end of the day, all of those Marines died, not because of the alien, but because of the company, uh, ostensibly. I mean, they sent them out, the colonists out to that ship. They got infected. And we know what happened after that. It's the company that that's the reason. And Ripley knew that she really knew that. And she went right up against it. And it's not like she was like, yeah, let's go up against it. She had to. She was forced to, and then she was forced to take control. She was forced to rescue whoever was left from the, the hive and get them out of there because Gorman wasn't doing her job. Her character is just absolutely profound. I've never seen, I've never seen an equal to her character in sci-fi or anywhere else in terms of three films where she, her arc is just being pushed and she gets better and better, but she continues to be human. She continues to be flawed, but she also continues to do the right thing. So... Again, to your point, Philip, and everything that we're talking about in terms of character, I, I, I've never seen any character or characters in a film 
like aliens done better before period end of story and you yeah, saying she was forced it's just so like it, it's so it's so perfectly handled when the scene we all know you know but you're not going to bring them back not to study to, but to wipe them out and then he goes that's the plan and then you just see the look glazed over her face of like he's lying to me and then all right i'm in it's just oh it's just chef's kiss almost like she needs she realizes he's probably bullshitting me so i have to go you once characterized ripley in the in the film series as being a whistleblower yeah and I, that surprised me the first time I heard it because I hadn't applied that terminology to the first two films in particular, but it really does fit. And then the scene where she tries to confront Burke in Aliens about what he's done. She's found the, the, the records that he sent them. I mean, it's the most perfect example of gaslighting because he says to her, well, just imagine if it wasn't true. Like, but, but she's the reason we know it's true. And for him to say that to her is so infuriating. I love it. I just wanted yeah. to put that out there. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and the and – the, and that's that's right from the beginning in the boardroom that like I, I felt again I just always go back to that screening with my friends I could just that scene immediately just grabs anyone watching it and it's just like you are on this woman's side because look how look how she's being dismissed and counted out when she's trying to talk about something extremely serious and we all know how frustrating that is when you're not being taken seriously it's just I don't know uh, it, it seems he makes it look easy that's all I can say well Patrick I think we should definitely segue into that that legacy that we're talking about and how these characters this film this world that was created how it's been homaged over the years in many different ways but never equaled and i'm curious from you all in what way have you seen aliens homaged or ripped off in ways that maybe that you appreciate or ways that were obvious and but also as we discuss this i'm curious and we don't have to get into this question right now but one of the questions that i have is why haven't we been able to see another film like this And i'm not even talking about within the alien universe and that's another i mean that's part of the conversation that camaraderie that we see even the camaraderie to some degree in alien 3 we haven't seen it in another alien film since they haven't been able to to they've thrown all the they threw all the recipe, you know, they made the, they made the film based off the recipe, but it, you know, the cake didn't come out and it hasn't come out since. And I'm curious why that happens. I just want you to keep this cake metaphor going. I want you to see how far we can, we can push this cake metaphor. <laughs> <laughs> got flipped over upside down and cooled off wrong. No, it's just the you cherry know, on top. For, for me and probably for most of us on this call, because we are like the token alien obsessives in our friend groups, you know, although now our friend groups are also on this call. So, you know, it all kind of comes <laughs> together. You know, I have a lifetime of people sending me alien references when they see them in shows and in movies and things like that. Right. So like off the top of my head, I have this like pretty enormous running list of, you know, visual gags in, you know, whether it's a Simpson episode or since Simpsons episode or, you know, American dad or family guy. Or, you know, any, any of the sort of the shorthand popular culture references to Kane's chest bursting sequence from the first film or to the Marine dialogue in the second film or to Ripley getting confronted by the, you know, by the alien in the third. But there's, of course, like, you know, before we get into the conversation on film and, and other things that I know we're going to get into, I want to just give a shout out to video games as well. Because I feel like aliens had an enormous impact on, on gaming. It's not a coincidence that Doom which I fucking adore and have adored for most of my life, bears a lot of you know similarities to the idea of colonial marines in space, right? The Halo series, actually Bungie, the developers of it, have like talked about that, you know, ad nauseum, that aliens was their like 
one of their chief inspirations and there's whole lines of dialogue you know caught from it and these are these are not small franchises like doom and halo are two of like the most iconic video game franchises of all time I and mean, they're both they both have aliens written all over them and you can see that in in any number of other shooters or you know tactical games that are out there but in terms of movies yeah there's this other thing that you're talking about jamie which is really important which is you can have really talented filmmakers take all of the sort of ingredients that aliens presents us with and they can do it in a way that you know so here's a good case study for this i think it's not really quite a movie but it's stranger things right so stranger things has it wears its aliens inspiration on its sleeve throughout a lot of it right i personally love stranger things but i find the alien and aliens references in it a little bit grating sometimes because i'm like man there's like I mean, even fucking Avengers Infinity War and Endgame both have alien, aliens references in them. Like, That's just Mandalorian. It's, yeah, it's, I mean, it's, just, it's, every, it's everywhere, right? Mm -hmm. And once you start looking for it, you start seeing it more, and it starts almost getting distracting. Stranger Things is a different case study because it's sort of a pop culture love letter in the first place and blah, 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 blah. But my point being that you almost can't watch something without seeing it there, which is both the problem... And in some ways, like it's great gift to popular culture because it's just it's just in our minds. It's omnipresent, but it's also uh, it can get a little bit overwhelming sometimes. But yeah, I mean, I want to hear what others have to say too. It's, it's something that is writ large all over popular culture. Can I jump in on the video game thing just quick? When you look at the hallways of the Nostromo in, the, in Alien, you know you have this sort of octagonal shape, but it's 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 this is great on a podcast. I'm using my hands to demonstrate. It's very claustrophobic, <laughs> right? It's almost like a a classic television aspect ratio. James Cameron is the first person to take that and widen it. He uses the entire widescreen aspect ratio so that he can have Vasquez and Drake lead the Marines down the main hall of Hadley's Hope. And that was when video games were like, oh my God, we have to have these hallways and you have to have first person shooters because you've got the, you know, the, the camera on the side of the helmet. He just sort of created, I mean, again, Alien Alien was the first one to use that sort of found footage aspect when you see the helmet cameras uh, as they approach the alien ship. But Aliens takes that and really ramps it up. And James Cameron talks about in the commentary, it was a it was a way to get Ripley into the hive with the Marines where she really physically couldn't be. And so that's why you have that first person aspect. But the video game, I mean, it just, it, it spawned that whole genre. But I also wanted to say, we have to give a shout out to Predator 2 for being, I believe, the very first blatant ripoff of aliens, where they're like, "Yeah, we got guys, we got cameras on their heads, and they're gonna go in, and they're gonna, you know, like really, we're gonna watch it on some cam on some screens in a room." We're just you gonna know. say that, like, totally. infrared. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> That's a and Predator only happened though. because of aliens. And that was a script that was lying around, and then they were like, "Oh, we need more of these like alien and gun movies." Isn't that the case? That's what I, as I, as I understand it. Sorry. No. Sounds <laughs> good to me, Nash. Oh, thanks. Yeah, let's just I'll run buy with it. That. I'll buy I mean, that, that for a dollar. The ending in the ship with the skulls would definitely... That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, while while I had a Disney Plus trial, I was diving into all types of weird things, and I was like, what was this Mighty Ducks cartoon? And I just started watching that, which is a, like a fever dream. But there was, lo and behold, Aliens references. I, I sent a, a clip from a, a Disney like original movie that was about rollerblading to the group chat because they did the they did the Vasquez and Hudson joke about you know being mistaken for a, a, a boy as they did in the in the Disney one but yeah and, and the slaughterhouse scene I feel like you know of course yeah with the things but when they're all 
when everyone gets corralled in and they get massacred. I feel like that's been done done to death. Well, it's also interesting as we, I mean, we're talking about what's the impression of aliens. And I know, Patrick, you just mentioned, I think it was Infinity War. Was that when Spider- uh, Peter Parker was like, you know that movie where, you know, he's talking. That you old know, they film. Go, right? Yeah, the yeah. old film. And they go on and they go on and on about it. And then, of course, we see a version of that where the, the whatever that guy is gets sucked out into space, a la aliens. And it, it, it's just, it's amazing. And then you see subtle references. I mean, I guess it's not so subtle, but it is subtle. It's just one blip, but it's a cop, pop culture reference because they're living in the same earth that we're living in. So it makes a little bit of sense that they would have grown up or would have seen those movies. But then you have more recent fare like Army of the Dead, where it's a beat for beat, like, hey, we're, we love this movie so much, we're going to remake it in our own way, successful or unsuccessful. And that's interesting, too. But I also know Starship Troopers. There was a lot of aliens in Starship Troopers. That's not it's not a film that I enjoy, but I also when I saw it, which when I was very young, I didn't understand that it was more of a parody or a or an indictment on that culture than it was. I watched it as like this. Oh, I'm going to go see another aliens inspired film. And I was like, this is kind of dumb. But I realized later on, like, well, it's a statement on many things happening. War culture, the military industrial complex or whatever. So I thought, okay, it makes a little bit more sense, but there's a lot of aliens in that movie. There just is a lot of the camaraderie. It's not in my opinion, successful, but it's certainly there. The bugs laid a trap for us, didn't they? I think the jingoism of aliens is sort of, uh, I don't want to say overblown, but it's like, you know, it, it was a bit of a, a Vietnam parable, right? The whole thing, like, they're they're so cocky, but, like, they get destroyed. So it's like, I don't, you know, I don't know if that's, so, you know, I've, I think that was Verhoeven's thing of, like, oh, this, you know, fetishization of guns in the military and all that. I don't, I don't know if it's quite that in Aliens. You guys have any thoughts on that? Well, James Cameron had just come off writing the second Rambo movie. It, it left a really bad taste in his mouth. And so he wanted to write something where you weren't shooting at humans, first of all, and that didn't glorify the violence in the same way. And he'd written a script called Mother. And when he went into this pitch meeting with Walter Hill and David Geiler, they said, okay, we want to make a a war movie sequel to Alien. That was their idea. It was like, there's soldiers, there's Ripley, and then some some shit happens is what they told him. And so he had to he had to make it happen. And and so he took his script for this thing called Mother, which ends with the protagonist fighting an alien queen mother in a large power loader. And he's like, okay, well, I'll just replace this and this, and here you go. But again, the the mother script had been sitting around. It was really, I think, writing um, First Blood Rambo Part Two that that influenced how he wanted to portray the Marines and, and to not have it be super jingoistic. There's this they're super hyped up about themselves and their their technology, and then they, they literally get their asses kicked, and they have to really rethink things. And I think it's worth noting, although popular culture has kind of forgotten this, I think that the Rambo film started off very much as, as indictments yeah. of war. <laughs> but yeah. it's, it's so, so, I don't know what happened, but somewhere along the line, they kind of flipped on its head. But the initial sure, glorifying were, it, yeah. Yeah, but the, the initial movies were very much in the same character as, as Aliens in some ways, I think. It's, so, it's such an incredibly iconic movie. That and it's had such a massive impact on culture. It's practically impossible to find its impact in specific places. <laughs> you know, like it's just such a huge part of everything that's come since then. Trying to, like, literally list things that has impacted since then is just like, it's almost, it's almost easier to you know what what didn't come from that. And there's so many themes that can be found in it if you're if you're looking for them. You know, like it's not it's not a one note film at all. I mean, there's 
that's like this horrifying like cinematic horoscope that, that you can find meaning in if you if you look for it you know there's if your thing is if you're frustrated with the way corporations are slowly taking over the world or if you're if you have these issues of lost family or there's the questions of what lies behind beyond our solar system and where humanity comes from especially when you get into the prometheus stuff and our relationship with technology there's i mean visually you've got the graphic visual body horror of of the Giger design and how the, the filmmakers were unapologetically trying to make every dude in the audience super uncomfortable with just the way that the alien like rapes you and then kills you. There's just so many different pieces that make it what it is. You've got the iconic soldier versus monster in space motif that you guys have said, like talk about how it is playing out in, in films a, a million times in every video game we've ever seen. And I mean, that all just comes so directly from Alien. One theme that I think the original writer, well, I mean, it's, I mean, people have said so, was bringing to it was the, the idea of being, being killed by something inside of you that you can't see, you know, with the, with the writer's own illness that he was dealing with. That's something that I'm fascinated with. I love that, that idea of somebody, you know, struggling with the idea of something that's killing them and just being this huge metaphor for this, just this fear. It's just such a magnificent representation of fear on screen and that that concept of being afraid of the thing inside of you is is one i'm going to explore very much in an upcoming arc i like these little teasers we're getting tonight i know i yeah. wasn't i wasn't expecting <laughs> yeah, this but thanks, i'm really Phil. liking it a lot yeah. You know, yeah no one else no one else gets this treatment guys because <laughs> usually when i do stuff in written down form it all goes through uh fox well what i find fascinating i think about i i don't know why i'm dancing around not talking about army of the dead i i don't i don't, i i like Zack snyder i'm a fan of his work i expected to really love the film i didn't i didn't like it at all i thought the more i was entertained by it and then by the time it was over i kept thinking about it more and more i'm like that was just garbage however the setup is similar where dave bautista's character is approached by some corporate people we need you to go back in to the zombie zone which is um, Las Vegas. He's a little bit, ah, I'm not really sure I want to do that because he had been experienced before. He goes back in. They send a company man with him who is there for nefarious reasons. There's a Latina woman with a bandana around her head who dies Dude, the same way Vasquez dies. I mean, was like, damn, yeah. bro, that's, that's too yeah. close. Yeah. <laughs> well, and then there's a zombie queen. I mean, there's. There's a zombie there queen. A zombie too, but, queen? Yeah, there's a zombie queen with a crown when she comes out, and she's all like, she's all breathy and like grandiose with her like dance movements or whatever that is she's doing, and it, it is beat for beat and aliens. And by the end, they all get to the place where the, the chopper should be, and the chopper's gone. Oh no! And then the chopper rises up in the end. He's like, oh, and Tignatero plays the the pilot who looks just like Frost when she has her helmet on. It's very interesting. And I, I, I was, my, the question that I was like, why did they do this though? Like, it's one thing to take, okay, there's one thing to like have homages and, but what I noticed with, and even within the alien films, like, well, like alien resurrection where they threw some military in there. They, they put them on a ship. They, they threw everything that they thought made an alien movie and it was just a mess. I think even in, in light of Alien 3, it was a miracle that, in my opinion, that movie turned out to be the masterpiece that it is because they were not, they were intending to fuck that movie up. And they didn't, even though David Fincher might have a different opinion of that. But they continue to, not even just within the Alien series, but elsewhere, try to re reconstitute this, the, the DNA of Aliens, and it does not work. But I don't think it has anything to do with the military presence or even so much the hero's journey. James Cameron just knew what it, 
meant to have characters connect to each other. He just did. And I think that's that's why that movie was successful. And everything else just played right into it. And, and, and we've discussed some of the criticisms of Aliens, where there are some beats, some repeats of Alien in Aliens. I mean, whether it's the Queen being blown out the the, the door at the end, or many, many things. The, the countdown, like... There's many things from Aliens that we saw, we had seen in Alien, but James Cameron did changed it enough. For instance, a Bishop that we were talking about. Bishop is not Ash. He's specifically the antithesis of who Ash is. Except for there was a couple moments when he's looking at that face hugger and uh, what's his name is talking to him, and Bishop is in some other place, and he's like, Bishop, hello. Or are you there, Bishop? And he's a little freaky in that moment, actually. It's something that I didn't bring up before. And you're like, well, where is he right there in that moment? But Cameron really changed the game enough. He changed the the the, the DNA of Alien enough to make it his own. And But I, again, I think it people gather around the characters of that film. They're not really gathering around the military or the Marines or, I mean, yeah, sure, the aliens are cool. The Queen is cool. But when people, and if you see it, depending on how active everyone is on social media, when people are talking about aliens, what are they saying? They're giving you Hudson's lines. They're giving you Vasquez's replies. They're not really talking about, yeah, that gun was cool. I mean, you'll see that here and there. But everything you see goes back to the characters of that film more than it goes back to the setup of the film. And I don't feel like the people who go back to that recipe to try and make it again, understand that, that it's not about the window dressing. It's about the characters looking out the window. Yeah, I would agree. They ain't paying us enough for this, man. Not enough to have to wake up to your face, Drake. What? Is that a joke? Oh, I wish it were. Hey, Hicks. Man, you look just like I feel. I mean, there's been stuff like Starship Troopers, like you said, and Doom, and I mean, so many things. And we, other things that share the same iconic kind of imagery. I mean, nothing's as cool as the Giger alien, but stuff like that, where it's like the badass Marine in space fighting the whatevers. And you remember them, but you don't, you don't see them in your mind's eyes clearly because you don't know them like we do the characters and aliens. Like, you know, the, the relationship relationships between like you know between Vasquez and what's his name and and, and of course the core group and there's all these different relationships and that just make everyone so clear in that film and we we know them in a way we don't know the character we don't remember the characters in those other films that tried to kind of piggyback on that success I mean the the iconic imagery of the space marine versus the alien is super cool but it's the characters that really make us remember it like we do Two things. If the, for one thing about Army of the Dead, if you t- I was trying to find out if there was indeed a reference in South Park, which I remembered there being. I was looking it up. I typed in aliens and then the letter R, and it auto-filled with references in Army of the Dead. So that's definitely something people are noticing on Google, at least. But if there's any better indication of, of how hard it is to revisit that secret sauce if the characters aren't as good as Philip and Jamie are saying, I think it's Avatar, right? Which James Cameron, of course, made, which features tons of similarities to the events in Aliens. There's a there's a company in it, right? There's a power loader suit in it. There's Sigourney Weaver in it prominently. There's, I mean, it's a, and it's about, you know, it's science fiction and it's James Cameron and it has in some ways a similar story structure, I think, in terms of the acts of the film. And yet, like, I have never met anybody who cares about the story in Avatar. That might be just the people that I talk to. Maybe I'm like in a minority on that. But I, I feel like Avatar, it, it people remember it for the effects, for how beautiful it was. They remember it for the 3D 
photography, but it's not something that lives in people's hearts the way that Aliens did. Even though it was an incredible blockbuster at the time and everybody saw it over and over and over again, it's not something that lives in popular culture the way that it's like when it does, it feels almost foisted. It's like, oh, there's a new ride coming out. It's like, uh, you know, let's go visit Disney World or something, you know. Aliens is something that like it's it's I think Philip is onto something with it. I think it's because the characters are so good that it goes beyond those tropes that it gets minimized to all the time to like the people that were behind those tropes to begin with. And so like, you know, we talk on the show a lot about how it has all these faults in it that are so unmistakable, right? Like there is no way the queen made it you know, into that fourth act, right? Like, that's just something that every, every single person, including children who watch that movie, they're like, that doesn't make any <laughs> sense. But it just doesn't matter because the film is just so incredibly well done, right? That all of those flaws, those beats that harken back to the first film, et cetera, they just subside in the in the awesomeness of the talent that James Cameron had putting that movie together and in the performances. So I think that, yeah, I think that it's it's almost an impossible thing to, to replicate. You know, you were mentioning the recipe, Jamie, for this cake, which I want to get after the show, by the way. You know, I think the problem is that there's a secret sauce, right? Like, you can have all the right ingredients. You can go ahead to the, you know, you, you can get, you know, uh, I don't even like Kentucky Fried Chicken very much, but, like, I do like Kentucky Fried Chicken, right? And, like, you know, I try to replicate it. I'll do the paprika. I'll do the different spices that I'm assuming they're using. I'll go online. I'll look at blogs, and they'll be like, oh, you got to put the garlic powder in. And then you make it at home, and it's like, that doesn't taste like Kentucky Fried Chicken, right? There was something about the time and the place where this was being made that – I have tried that, by the way. It didn't come out very good. <laughs> Hashtag white about... boy. The... <laughs> Hashtag white boy. Let's go home and make the blandest chicken you can buy. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, I'll put some paprika in that, Jamie Printer. <laughs> There's something about the time and the place it was made and the people who made it that is impossible to replicate. And I think it's not lost on the people in this call because it's come up a few times that this was essentially a, ultimately a critique of the sort of, you know, the expansionist American idealism of the mid-1980s couched in a vehicle that looked like it was pro that, right? Like I've shown on this podcast before for Alien Day, the Time magazine that I have that has Sigourney Weaver on the cover talking about the second film coming out. And like, and the the big the big heading title at the top of the Time magazine on the little bumper at the top says "Capitalism will win the war" or something like that. Like this was a time where like they were celebrating all of these machinations driving the company, without realizing that this film that looked like it was for that was actually something antithetical to it. And I think that it's really hard to do that now in mainstream Hollywood filmmaking. I think it's really hard to get a budget like that to make a movie that's that huge. And that audacious, that is also sort of anti the forces that were making it in some ways, right? That are kind of like anti the idea of a studio system having all this authority. So anyway, I think that's a really hard secret sauce to replicate. And that might be kind of at the heart of what's wrong with a lot of these new takes on it. My love is the costuming and the props. That's I, I can't get enough of mm. it. And Aliens may be the most, the most detailed movie for the most minor characters. Because James Cameron, first of all, he designs this, this costume, this uniform that the, the soldiers are wearing, that simultaneously harkens back to American soldiers in Vietnam with the, with the graffiti and the, the camouflage pattern. But the armor itself looks like Roman centurion armor with the overlapping plates. So you have... The, the colonial nature of the Roman Empire and you have the colonial nature of what was happening in Asia that, that America got tied up in, even though we weren't colonizing, we came in because the French had, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, but then he hands these things to the actual actors and says, go for it, add whatever graffiti you want. 
so everyone got to add their own little details and you can some of them you can actually uh, match up with specific people in Vietnam who had these certain images, the Hudson skull or a couple other things. But what you end up with, if you if you start free streaming the movie, is crazy little details. Like Hicks has a bullet hole in his armor and it says born again. So somebody's shooting at these Marines, right? Frost has a sticker on his pauldron that says Nukem. So there's there's this idea we are using nuclear weapons against whoever these these people are. The Sulaco actually has burn marks on the exterior, like some sort of weapon has been used against them. So these are actually battle-hardened Marines with with no screen time wasted telling us what those battle. Other things like Dietrich, the, the character of Dietrich, uh, she has Blue Angel written on the back of her head because Marlena Dietrich starred in a movie called Blue Angel. Wow. The, even the, 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 the two Marines, Wierzbowski and Crow, that were really just stuntmen. They're just there to do the, the action shots. But the actor who played Wierzbowski just covered his armor. He's got spam and a can written on one side. He's got an arrow pointer's crotch that says, my hidden weapon, you know, just weird stuff. And Crow has this beautiful bird across the front of his armor that, that he painted on. And he was really proud of it. And then both both the, the actor who played Hudson and the actor who played Frost put their girlfriend's names on their armor. But when Rico Ross was was scratching Heather into the armor, he ran out of space. So it just says Heath, which everyone has interpreted as Heath. And so it's like Heath. And Rico Ross is like, sure, you know, if you want it to be Heath, then he's gay. That's fine. And so there's this 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 neat, the deeper you dig, the more there is for these characters. Now, if you go to the last of the Hunger Games movies, they have a whole scene that's a ripoff of aliens. And you have Mahershala Ali and a couple other really good actors as their own version of the colonial marines and you freeze frame it and there's nothing there there's nothing to, to distinguish these guys they're all just going to die and you know unless your name is above the title on the film you're, you don't have a you don't have a story apone is wearing a, a masonic ring for example like there's just these, these little things that give you more details about not only the characters but the world that they're living in outside of this one incident so when they die it's like damn that you know i i feel it every time and that's the other thing I wanted to say. James Cameron, at that point in his career, had figured out how to do chain reactions. This action leads to this action, which causes this. So, you know, for example, when Ripley realizes that they can't shoot their pulse rifles, all of the ammunition goes to Frost. So then when Dietrich gets pulled up and Frost gets torched, that's how the, the ammunition all sets off and, and you lose three Marines in a couple of seconds. And there's a couple of things like that throughout the movie where, oh, oh when when Vasquez sets off the grenade, that's great. You killed the aliens, but the, the, the aftershock is what knock, knocks Newt into the lower levels. And so it just the way that the plot progresses, it doesn't feel artificial because you saw it coming almost. Or the thing that you were just cheering a second ago has now had a bad, you know, a bad um, after effect that you didn't think was going to happen. And it just keeps propelling you through the movie. Yeah, I showed decisions I showed this people make like a, like one decision that somebody makes will like has repercussions for like throughout the movie like if this thing had not happened all these other events also don't happen and then everything changes. I'm sorry, please go on. Oh, that's great. I showed this to my my son when he turned 10. He and his he had his friends over and I brought out my pulse rifles and my motion tracker and I, I dressed them all up, all these 10 year olds in this grown up sized armor and they watched the movie holding the weapons and they just couldn't believe, you know, one thing after another. And why is he outside of the drop ship? Why isn't, you know, 
why, when, and when he touches the sticky, the, the alien goo is like, why don't you tell somebody, man? <laughs> Which is that, that series of progressions differentiates it from so many other movies. You know, it isn't just this set piece follows that says this set piece because that's what we want to have happen. It's because it actually logically makes sense for it to happen. Perfectly put. Yeah, Christian. Wow, man. Yeah, keep cool. talking. I love this movie. I love this movie. <laughs> I mean, if you, if any of you guys are podcast junkies like me, there's an awesome podcast called Script Notes, hosted by Craig Mazin, who who created and wrote Chernobyl, among other things, and uh, and also John August, who's a you know big time screenwriter as well. And they, at least John August, he he brings up aliens all the time. He's like, well, in aliens, et cetera, et cetera, because it is that oh, it's just this perfect uh, little crafted artifact. It's just like this perfect discreet little thing. And uh, it's just dominoes. We have had, I think, five or six writers on just in 2021 alone. And every single one of you, including Philip, has brought up aliens as just an incredible example of what Christian is talking about, which is a propulsive plot, right? Which is a film that where action is not wasted and it is entirely in the service of the character's narrative. And it's so economical, you know? And yeah, and, and like, I, I don't, you, but there's so few movies like that. I, th- I feel like, like, usually it's a small film if it's like that. Like, a lot of like indie horror movies feel like that to me, where it's really economical use of resources and it's, and it's just like, a, you're really kind of entrenched for like 80 minutes and something. But something on the, on the, the scale of aliens being that like strong with the story is, yeah, it's, it's really rare you find that with that attention to detail that like Christian's talking about with the costuming, you know? We actually talked on the Percy interview about about La Riesca Siempre Vive on on Vasquez's outfit, and how like like for, like that has been a rallying cry in in our family now for for so long because like, a it's a great sentiment you know that that the chance is what lives right, but also just that like the risk is is what lives, but that it's like that's who she is like that was there for a reason you know. And just like the soldiers in Vietnam that, you know, as Christian's talking about, like, that, they customize their armor with that stuff. And you see photos of them, you know, at, at peace protests with flowers in their helmet. And there's also, like, there's, you know, things that are etched in, you know, in, in paint on their helmets that, that talk about where they've been and why they're, you know, leaving it. And, yeah, like, that, that, that level of, of historicity is, is just is amazing. And, and, and ultimately, I think, what carries it above a lot of other movies, you know. And their armor was their home. It's what they lived in. Like it's it's the only home that they knew, so they customized it. It made it makes some sense to me that it would reflect who they are. As we're talking about this story and what why it's so impactful, what it reminds me of is a film is docu- no, it was a film called Dark Waters, which is based off a true story about DuPont, where there's a town, I think it's on the east coast, I don't remember exactly the, the details of it. It takes a long time for this lawyer to actually get aboard this this case and look into it and find out what's going on. And meanwhile, people are dying in this town because the water is being polluted and women are having deformed children who work at the plant. And it's the story reminds me a little bit of Aliens in the sense that James Cameron knew that nefarious thing goes things happen in companies. They do. Um, even the best and the brightest companies who have the best logos and the best, this is who we are. We want to make you welcome. This is your, this is where you belong. Even those companies have some really dark stories, whether it's Starbucks or Walmart or whomever, where there there's, there's been some tragedy and not just tragedy, but frankly, evil things have happened there on top of some really, really good things. But the story of DuPont where they 
were essentially making this these nonstick pans and the chemicals that they were using were poisoning the town and they were poisoning well mostly everyone who were was working at the plants but specifically the women who were childbearing age and their children were coming out very deformed and they had medical issues and they're i think in the documentary or in the movie they have one of the kids who are grown up and his face is his nose looks weird as i you know because he was a product of that deformity but it reminded me of aliens where for years people were saying something's wrong something's wrong and no one was listening and i was like this is an alien story this is why this movie is also so powerful it isn't just because of the character it isn't just because of the details but it's also because these stories are true these stories are true and they also live in the gray area and these companies also have helped families and made life better for other people and enabled people to get out of poverty at the same time poisoning them you know and i i feel like that is part of that mix that secret that secret recipe or that secret sauce as to why this film is also really amazing is because it taps into something that's universally true everything else the 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 dressing the the setting the marines the guns the creatures they're just vehicles to tell the story part of a story of a corporation who only had their best interest the corporation's best interest at heart at the end of the day the corporations are are who got those Marines. The corporation was who got those Marines killed. The corporation who is essentially who got Ripley killed in Alien 3. I mean, if it wasn't for them, she would have been safely on her way somewhere, but they decided they had other plans for her. And I can't help but see that story over and over again in today's in today's news and today's headlines, but also in the past. And so when I think about an Alien story and going going in a different place with Alien, I think... There's where those stories are. They're right there. They're right there for telling. And and part of, I think, as we move forward from Aliens eventually and we get out of the 35th anniversary year, and my hope is to go further and to leave the Marines that that life and let it lie for a while and really tackle what a corporation is and what they're capable of and what they've done. And I think that's that's, to me, the scariest part of that movie. Yeah, and it's, that's, that's another thing that it speaks that uh, it's, it says to me, like the, those movies, I mean, the, the franchise as a whole, just seeing Whale and Utani grow and grow and just, yeah, I mean, that's, yeah, that's the scariest part for me too. Like just the concept of the unfettered ambition that will just stop at nothing, you know, like that's, that's the, that's the real monster of the story. And I, I've, I've heard stories in real life about, I think I probably mentioned it last time too, just the meetings between heads of state and heads of corporations like Exxon or whatever and how they, they speak like peers. And I just, I wanted to explore some of that in the comic as well, just to see, I want to, I want to see the point at which Whale Nutani outgrows any, any nation or even coalitions of nations that exist on earth and just become a, the greatest power in human history. It's uh, scary stuff. I'm sorry, Maz, what were you saying? Oh no, I was actually going to go back to what you, something you said way back about, because Jamie was really latching on to, the fear of corporations and evil corporations and all that. And earlier you said about how aliens is, I think you called it like a horoscope that we can all see, you know, take a different, like even on this, on during this talk, Jamie, you've like, you latched on to, to Ripley as like a beacon of strength and you've, and you latched on to, you know, 
the scary reality of corporations that's like the beauty of this movie is that it 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 is like we can each take that one thing but it's 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 five things for all of us and that's the secret sauce that's the chicken that patrick couldn't cook it's the (laughs) it's that it's all these things simultaneously yeah it's interesting how like seeing how that movie was made and how like what a control freak cameron was and is by all accounts because i mean he's got a handle on character like almost no one it's amazing how i mean these other movies too you know avatar love it or hate it you gotta admit there's a ton of character development in that story too same with you know titanic and his other big stuff it's really driven around these people and that's amazing but he also he knows every aspect of filmmaking and so he gets except like composition i guess and probably some other little things but he whenever the people that whose craft he knows he's all up in their shit constantly and just controlling all the little decisions and that sounds like not a great way to work honestly like from the perspective of one of the other people i hate getting micromanaged like that but it did manage to create this movie in which the whole thing feels like it's created by a singular vision and you get stuff like you know the Sulaco with the you know the blast damage and the the armor that looks that is so like make such a statement on its own even though he it sounds like he knew when to let when to let go of the reins and let the, let them put their own stuff on their own armor at least but yeah i was just really fascinated to hear how little autonomy cameron actually gave his people how he just really wanted to control every aspect of it and just kind of willed this whole thing into being just like he wanted it to be philip have you seen the footage of james cameron yelling at the special effects guy who's supposed to pull the wire on the facehugger yes yelling at him for not wearing gloves where are your gloves yeah exactly yeah totally yeah that was a really fun documentary do we have charles de Rico to thank for that one for finding those little bits i guess oh man when, I guess when the when the car goes through the wall, I guess something almost got like that went way further than they expected it to. Something almost died, right? Yeah, the mm-hmm. APC. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, there's all kinds of really interesting things from that that whole film. I just could not stop watching. But part of one of the coolest parts of this comic gig is that I just gave me an excuse to go back and and rewatch all the movies. I did not make it through Resurrection. I have to confess. <laughs> um, you gave up at the basketball scene. Not even. I. I <laughs> I got. Uh, I've watched shooting hoops. Yeah, I've I've watched that movie. If I added up all the times I've seen the first twenty minutes, like over and over again, I've probably seen it all the way through a couple of times. But like, if I've only seen the ending once, <laughs> it's one of those movies but, where like you think about like, oh, oh yeah, yeah. And then you're like, no, nah, dude. Yeah. <laughs> you know what? I want to see a supercut of the basketball scene from Resurrection and the basketball scene from Catwoman from 2003 i want oh, somebody Jesus. to put that shit together doesn't david eight play with a basketball too yes he does. he does yes yeah, yeah. 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 big I think warning we... sign big <laughs> warning sign warning. yeah christian <laughs> 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 you know, can i can i just say if if aliens is respectful of the military both i mean they're 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 exaggerated they're character caricatures but you can look at the armor and you can squint and you can look at the guns and you can squint and say, okay, I believe this. Then you look at alien and resurrection. And this is like community college theater of what they think the military is like. Now, Philip, I know you, you're active military, but just from my own experience with my dad, no, no, no. Alien resurrection is just this, it's just bad. Every aspect of that film annoys it's me. Gross. So, Yeah. I can't get through it. No, you're totally right. You're right about the aliens too. Like that felt like, all warts and all those people feel like soldiers there's no use in comparing prometheus to aliens but i was thinking about it earlier because when you watch the prometheus documentary furious gods which is pretty awesome it just seems like it's sort of 
from a creative initiative standpoint, it's sort of a, the the other side of the coin. It's like the opposite of Aliens, where Aliens was, you know, James Cameron drew the concept art. He 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 was there with the Fairchild synth creating sound effects. He was like in every little bit, and he comes from creating uh, special effects with 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 Carpenter and all that. And just like he he had his fingers in absolutely everything. He wrote the script, and in Prometheus, Ridley surrounded himself with all these incredible artisans, and it was just sort of all being filtered into this pot, and it didn't coalesce the same way. My buffet metaphor earlier, we're having a lot of cake and food and chicken food metaphors. today, yeah, we got egg rolls. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the egg rolls, like, that was the thing to me. It's like, when you watch that documentary, you're just, like, getting so many awesome ideas, and you're like, how could they fit this into the movie? They can't, and then they didn't. <laughs> I also think that Alien and then Aliens were films that were written or films that were made based off stories that were pre-written, stories that where Cameron had a vision and he had written the elements of that vision before with Mother. There was a lot of story being talked about, whereas I think what happened as time went on is what happens, and I've said this before, these people get in these rooms and they have these great ideas for scenes. And so then they put, they're like, oh, this would be a great scene. So then they try and fit the story around these set pieces as opposed to actually finding an, a pre-existing story as a which doesn't really happen with the big ips they farm it out they put people in a room and they brainstorm and then hopefully they have their story and the irony here is dreams cameron was so such a micromanager on aliens and that's sort of what fox became with the series later on and it just never worked but Cameron was more of an auteur. He was an artist himself in every sense of the word. And he had a pure vision and he wasn't able to, he was able to really see that. We've been talking for about almost two hours. We should probably wrap soon before we do though. Like Perry, you've been kind of quiet. Do you have anything to add? Oh no. I, I mean, you guys have said so many good things. I and have given a lot of insight into anything or sorry, into everything. I can just uh, say like very good points. And I agree with uh, every one of you and yeah just with the recipe piece it's if there wasn't alien we obviously wouldn't have had aliens but the story alone that it was coming from and that james cameron was building off of and adding on to and and that whole piece of that chain reaction and how like there was just some really great talent at that time within that team and surrounding everyone and Patrick to what you were saying about just what was going on at the, at the time in the world at that time. And, and all of those things coming together to create or just what is kind of feeding into this film just is what I think makes it so great with the characters, the, the themes, the, yeah, just everything that aliens is. And, and I, What's cool for me, too, is to see each and every one of you talk about it. We all have our own experience with how we either fell in love with it or or came to experience it. But we all have like this renowned respect and love for this film, no matter, you know, and we're not even we don't even all know each other, you know, outside of like this is kind of what brought us all together was this franchise. And 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 that's just so cool. And like, I don't think. I mean, there's no other podcast group of friends. I don't have like a Fast and the Furious podcast after this one. You know, it's like <laughs> Jamie does. <laughs> but you know what I mean. I, I this film is one of a kind, and the, the 
alien franchise is one of a kind and and uh, yeah it's it's just so cool to to be here and and th- to have the film just have that yeah no other film has that it's it's awesome amen perry oh, i want i want to bring us to the end here because it is two hours and and i think the fact that we're at two hours illuminates something very important about this movie that i going to circle back around to in a moment but before i do i want to meditate for a second on the significance of 35 years of this movie being on our lives i I would guess that 35 years is probably like the median age of this call right now which means that all of us were in some way kids or not born yet when this movie came out and the fact that this movie is now 35 years old is you know in some ways a signifier of how much time has passed in our own lives right like this was a movie that we fell in love with when we were kids when we were innocent you know, before we really knew what else was out there, what how the world would work and how it would greet us throughout our lives. And then now we're on this call as, you know, young people, but adults who are reflecting on this thing and remembering these moments from our childhood. And it's, it's an important thing. You know, it's important to remember also, speaking of 35 years, that James Cameron was significantly younger than that when he made this movie. He was barely 30. He was 32 when this came out. This is a guy who had made, you know, Piranha 2 The Spawning, had made The Terminator, and made this in, in, insane movie with this huge budget that broke all these records and, and sold out theaters around the world. A guy who, you know, made his imprint forever on cinema when he was younger at the time than this film is now. And I think that there's just something significant about that. But what I want to circle back around to as we close out is that this is, when all is said and done, if nothing else, the movie that you stay up late talking with friends about. This is the movie that growing up, if it's, you know, if you have a sleepover, like Perry was mentioning earlier, right? Then like, this is the movie you put on with your friends. This is the movie when I visited my cousins, we would always watch late at night. This is the movie we'd be, you know, this this is the thing that keeps us up and keeps us imagining and keeps us pining for, you know, exploration and for adventure, for swashbuckling in space, you know? This is a movie that is like, such a gift to us and we have had it now for three and a half decades. And, uh, and and I just think that that's a really, really beautiful thing. And I'm really glad that we could be here tonight to to honor that and talk about its place in our lives. I'm really grateful to everybody who was able to show up for this. Philip, you're like the busiest person in the world. And the fact that you're able to be here tonight, just dropping, you know, casual Superman references without even, you know, he he's also writing Superman for people who might not understand that, you know, as well as being active military and a musician and all these other incredible things. Thank you for coming on at such, you know, short notice. You said yes right away. Dude, Christian. I love this podcast. I'll, I'll come back anytime. This is so fun. So please, anytime. Thank you, Philip. And and Christian, thank you. Your, your insights tonight were like mind blowing. I got to say like the, the costuming detail things, you're such a great presence and fandom and your expertise is so deep and it was such a pleasure having you come back on tonight and imagine perry you guys are like the real lifeblood of this show at this point like your constant level of engagement hear that perry hands (laughs) (laughs) that's a secret sauce that's the paprika but your your constant level of engagement with fandom your constant enthusiasm you know working out story ideas working out episode ideas hopping on you know facebook live and instagram live you know like you guys are keeping the show just moving so beautifully and jamie my soul brother you know like seriously i don't mean that as a as a black thing i mean that just as like a soul you know you're you're my you're, you're a, a soulmate as a friend <laughs> <laughs> that's true no but like but this is this is the movie that you know when we did our 40 miles of bad road series together i mean that was like talk about fun times podcasting like holy shit that was every episode we couldn't breathe we were laughing so hard you know we'd be i would be crying because i cry in every show we do you know 
I'm just so glad that I've had this chance to talk with you about this movie so many times through the years. And, and, you know, I hope we get 35 years, at least more to talk about this fucking movie together, because it, it certainly holds up to that. It's a movie that as Philip was saying earlier, you know, you can look at it on the surface level and see some themes in it that are kind of easy to pick apart. But those themes, if you poke them, they reveal other themes beneath them that are a little bit more, uh, a little bit harder to talk about, you know, and a little bit more mysterious and kind of draws back in again. It's a deceptively complicated movie. And that's why I think its staying power has only grown through the years, you know. So, so thank you to James Cameron also. I want to, you know, who I'm sure is listening to this podcast right now. Thank you for doing this movie. Yeah, thanks, Jim. Um, <laughs> thanks, <Yeah>. Jimmy Jim. <laughs> And, uh, and thank you to everybody listening who has been similarly involved in these conversations. Thank you for, you know, the fan art through the years. Thank you for the homage films you've made through the years. Thank you for the super cuts you've done. All the work on the basketball one, that's a suggestion. Thank you for keeping this movie alive in fandom for 35 years. It is it is such an ever-present thing in our lives, and, and we're so lucky for it. And it's, and it's due to this community on this call around the world listening and all the, the incredible enthusiasm out there for this great movie. And we look forward to Hadley's Hoops, the, uh, the basketball <laughs> fan film. Nice, Madge. Yes. And with that, uh, uh, just to toss it off to Patrick, who really, Perfect Organism really came into its own when Patrick came aboard. So he is, to me, as important to the show as as the series is uh, and to me. But with that, we're going to wrap. Thank you guys for coming on, for taking the time. Mash, Perry, Christian, Philip, thank you guys so much. A little bit of housekeeping. If you guys could, who is listening, give us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcasts. That would help us out a lot. Also, uh, there's this thing called Patreon that we have, perfectorganism.com forward slash support. Start off at $4 a month. All the money that you that we raise through Patreon we use for live events, for hosting fees, for a lot of things. And we thank you to the patrons that we have or the patrons that we have already. And we look forward to talking to you guys again soon. We're going to continue to cover aliens a little bit. We're talking about a Vasquez episode, so maybe we'll we'll get that next up. We'll have a few aliens-related content as we celebrate the 35-year anniversary of aliens. So thanks, everyone. Are we going to sleep all the way home all the way home can i dream yes honey i think we both can <laughs> sleep tight high affirmative for more on perfect organism the alien saga podcast please visit perfectorganism.com Perfect Organism is available for listen or download through Podbean, iTunes, Google Play, TuneIn, and Spotify. If you'd like to support the show, please visit perfectorganism.com forward slash support. Thank you. <laughs>